0: Who wants tell you, who wants a pint of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want
1: coffee? Who wants coffee? And now it's time for the man with the caffeine, the new tropics for the brain. It's coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and uh, let's get this started. Well, start. hello, everybody. Welcome back to Java Chat. We have have a great guest today i'm going to have a good time with this guy because we're going to be talking about some pretty important um, stuff when it comes to things like leadership which is one of my favorite subjects um, and how to how to manage burnout which right now (laughs) more than anything else i think is a serious concern Um, but first you know everybody let's take a let's take a quick drink and welcome our guest today mr david Shar. thanks for joining us sir appreciate it
0: thank you thank you
1: yeah we're gonna what we do usually Dave is we we hang out with our friends which of which you've just become one and we like to have our friends introduce themselves talk a little bit about their background what they do uh, what they've done where they're headed things of that nature so if you wouldn't mind just kind of give us a little introduction that'd be awesome sure
0: so my name is David Scharr I have a company called illuminate performance management consultants so um, right now I'm I'm once uh, corona hit but you know <laughs> but um yeah so first of all love being here thank you so much for having me um my name is david Shar. i have a um an organization called illuminate performance management consultants or illuminate pmc oh, and sorry. what i do is i go out and consult and speak on issues related to leadership burnout um and building meaningful work um, the way I got to this is uh, a pretty. I took a pretty circuitous route. I started in ice cream. <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. Um, really? And, That's yeah, awesome.
0: Specifically, uh, working with underprivileged kids in Baltimore City, uh, coming from neighborhoods not unlike what you see in the wire, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I thought I was getting in the ice cream business. Very quickly realized I was in the people business, as we all are um and it piqued my curiosity about all these things leadership why were these kids finding meaning and scooping ice cream while um my friends who were doctors lawyers accountants uh, real estate agents were dreading going to work on monday right um so where i stand today is with one foot in practice and one foot in um in academia and it's a very interesting place to be because each of those realms has their blind spots and uh I try to be a translator between the two.
1: That's a, it's an interesting place to be, too, because you realize that you have control of a lot of information when it comes down to translating between one side and the other. Um, you mentioned, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, ice cream. Really, dude? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah so, <laughs> what, 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 what caused that? I mean, how did you decide to get an ice cream in the first place?
0: Right, especially in Baltimore, where it's cold half the year. Thank you. Um, If I was in Vegas with you, that'd be different. Oh, it'd be
1: year-round, brother.
0: (laughs) That would have, see, if I had my business sense, that's where I would have opened up. Um, No, so I had this opportunity come up um, right at the end of uh, my college career, and I'm like, let's do this. Yeah. Um, It was, I'm not going to name the franchise, but uh, it was one where we sang for tips and for every other excuse. It was real Wow. Wow. in the franchise and, sounds like fun actually yeah and loved it we used to throw ice cream in the air What and, and things like that it was it was all about the show the experience sure sure yeah and that's what it became for my crew and i it was it was about it was more than just about the ice cream it was about sure. improving people's day you know being an ice cream guy it's it's like non-alcoholic uh, being a non-alcoholic bartender you know? yeah yeah uh, people come and get ice cream when they're having a great time or when they're upset you know we yeah. are there to talk to them
1: you, so so there there's a there's an interesting question they come to either happy or upset which one did you find more of
0: yeah <laughs> um so there were a couple people where i was like i you know i need to make a living here but really maybe i should cut this person off cuz sometimes, <laughs> sometimes i felt less like a bartender and more like a crack dealer like
1: jeez no,
0: <laughs> it becomes, like some people just have a, a real problem as they're coming in you know um but for the most part it was really sweet like we would have such a mix of people we'd have kids coming in to celebrate their their soccer match win right um and we i remember the day we had a widow come in she started crying because the song that was playing was oh, her no. and her husband's song oh my goodness um, and so there were so many real and raw moments oh yeah uh, between, between us and our customers and me and my employees and my employees with each other, um, that it was just such a humanized workplace. And uh, and that's something that's missing out there.
1: I I would tend to agree. It's, especially with what's gone through and we'll get more into that in a bit, especially what's what this country in particular has gone through the last four or five months. Um, there seems to be a, a lack of, a lack of empathy and a lot of dehumanizing happening so <clears throat> so one of the things that I guess seems really surprising to me but and I've never thought about it before but an ice cream parlor could absolutely become like the the, the bar and and the first thing of course we started talking about that being the bartender spongebob hits my head because of that the spongebob movie because of that no oh, waiter um which you never really think about it like that, but you really can have touching human moments between you and a customer. Almost anything that's service-based, like that, wouldn't you think? Is is that fairly accurate?
0: Yeah, I think I think so. I think people often uh, our view of work has become so skewed. Oh boy! And it's it's, kind <laughs> it's of, an
1: understatement.
0: It's it's kind of sad because work has become a means to an end. What, right as we were as a society getting to a point where work could be so much more, um, it started becoming just the rat race toward um, the payout. And actually, at my ice cream parlor, I had a contract that I don't know how enforceable it would be and you know, with my HR background, I'm thinking ADA issues and things like that, but it, it, you were not allowed to come to work in a bad mood. And, That's cool. and you had to guarantee me that the, the day that payday, became the most exciting day of your week was the day you had to resign. And I had one person in seven or eight years take me up on that and came to me and said, I've been here a long time. I just feel like, you know, I'm more excited about payday than any other day. I've got my resignation.
1: Yeah, but that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with having an agreement that you're coming to work because you want to be there. I mean, this is something that we hear a lot of motivational speakers talk about. I mean, if you're getting up to go to a job, you're in the wrong place. If you want to see a change, change. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have the locked down mentality, if you will, which is, you know, I have to go make a paycheck. I got to, yes, you need to provide for your family, whatever that needs to be, but there's always something better. Your eyes should be open to, to looking for something you actually want to do, I would think. Right. And then, on the leadership side, you are the one with the open eyes going, look, I don't want you to come in here if you're in a bad mood. You're gonna affect everything else in the business. It's gonna affect our bottom line, it's gonna affect my ability to pay you. Why would you wanna be that way? I mean, it just makes sense to me.
0: Yeah. And it needs to be it needs to be a shared responsibility. Yeah. But over time, um, you know, from the beginning of time, right? When you right. look at when you look at how work is introduced in the oldest book we've got, the Bible, right? it's a punishment yeah. and is that you have, you're going to have to work the land for your thing. And so we see it as a punishment, but if you look a little bit closer and I'm, I'm certainly not a priest or a rabbi, but if you look a little bit closer, what you see very clear is that the other punishment is childbirth. Yeah. And yet we understand that childbirth is super painful, but also one of the most amazing miraculous things in this world. And one of the most meaningful things in this world, why are we not drawing the comparison with work? Right. right. I mean, Right. Yes, it's painful, and there is beauty in that pain because you are you are you are serving you are serving your community. Absolutely. Right? So so I think. Um, but instead, we now look at things. We now look at things through this other lens. That it's just about about the paycheck, and it's just about financing our weekend, and forget everything else.
1: You know, that's that's one of the things that. Oh, we have a we have a pooch who wants to get in on the the podcast. It's awesome. What breed? Is it, is it? It's all good. And we're back after that. Uh, uh, we, we, had a, we had a protest going on. Somebody didn't like Dave having the limelight there. So, yes. Everybody's fine. getting in on
0: it. 120-pound Bernie's Mountain Dog. Oh, my goodness. He gets his way. He's not happy when he does not
1: <laughs> I think that's most dogs. Where are you putting me? But I love you. <laughs> so much good. Um, okay. Um, so, when it comes to there, there's there's kind of a mirror. And I'm, I was thinking about this running through my head. There's a, a similarity of this type of mentality remanifesting in the new generations. Interestingly enough, I'm finding some parallels with how it was in the '70s. Now, I grew up in the '70s. I, that you know, so I wasn't in the workforce. I was a kid, but I remember movies around that. I remember seeing things in the news around that. Where people were going on a grind and it was, it was, they called it the, the industrialist syndrome. I think I I can't remember the total name or something. I'll probably get called out on it and that's fine. Please do comment, say something. Um, But when you get to a point where, and I I guess this will lead into the burnout question. When you get to a point where you're, you're now looking forward to the weekend, Gary V talks about this too. If you're living for the weekend, your life's messed up. You're in the wrong place. You need to you need to figure out something else, um, and and for some people that's starting their own business. For some people that's finding a new job. For some people it's taking a vacation, um, and even then, so if you're living to go on vacation, you're you're trying to take a break from your life. What kind of life is that? So, I guess a good way to start is what what would what would today what would define burnout. What would, that, what would the definition be today?
0: Right. So first, I think you're right um, regarding um, when you're just in the weekend, when it, it is absolutely meaningless. And yes. I study <clears throat> meaningfulness um, from a research perspective. What does meaningfulness actually mean? Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because re- meaningfulness is completeness, right. Right? right? And so what has always bothered me is that um so many of us i would i would i would gather to say the vast majority of us um go to work and we clock out of life and clock into work
1: isn't that odd and
0: it's sort of like putting it on pause and now that's the work me and it doesn't work it doesn't work that way
1: you know when you when you have people saying you should leave work at work and you should leave home at home right if you have to leave either one any anywhere there's a problem I, i would think right I mean, right. you know, The boomers
0: tried that, right? Exactly. The boomers wanted to be the best at everything, and, but they had this domain and that domain, and they were going to be the best at both. And the boomers also had the highest rate of divorce in human history, and yeah. I don't think that that's a coincidence. And so when you look at what people are calling work-life balance, what they called work-life balance then and what people are calling work-life balance now, when you dig a little bit deeper, what these, what these younger generations are asking for is not – the, their their parents or grandparents work life balance, it's work life integration, right? Because now we've got these these little you know um, cell phones in our pocket that have all of the world's information on them.
1: You Amazingly, know? And, they live on it. It's crazy,
0: right? And you are connected, and so mm-hmm. work follows you home, and home follows you to work. You can't escape it.
1: And do you, so, you remember? Do you remember the? Sorry to interrupt, but do you remember no, like back in the nineties? When cell phones were, you know, they were there. Yeah. they had them, <clears throat> and company policies were you no know, cell phones at work. Right, right. How, you can't do that how, how how that yeah how that's so totally evolved because technology has advanced us so far forward with that. You know, the world is at your fingertips now. Right. That was a, if you remember that was a that was a, golly whose model was that It was a tagline the world at your fingertips and it was a computer company and I can't remember who it was. Yeah. But that was at a computer. Now it's on this phone, and and yeah. like you said, work life integration versus you know work life balance, of which there never was any. I don't know who came up with that one. I I, I, I the first time I heard, well, you need to balance your work and your life. I'm like, right? How do you do that when you got to go clock in someplace, punch a clock, and then punch punch out and go home, and then right. your house not expect you to be you know a little burned from the day. Right. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got to use your energy somewhere and and the, there are so many demands in both in both arenas. And unless you're able to really turn it off when you leave, so if you're if you're able to turn it off when you leave, if you're not able to turn it off when you leave work, you're not able to turn work off. Then you shouldn't be expected to to completely turn off your home life, your relationships, et cetera, when you go into, into work. And for, forever, there was that double standard, and it still exists in some places. Um, I and,
1: and I still don't understand that. Why do they still try to enforce that when they know that things have progressed so far that it's now life? It's not work life and home life.
0: Right, right. So, and, and the, the way we work has changed. Yeah. The structure of work has changed. Okay. Our technology has changed. Mm-hmm. I, I talk a lot about um, vestigial structures Okay. So I used to be a bio major until I took physics and organic chemistry, and then magically I wasn't. <laughs> all, all my professors sort of uh, came together and had an intervention, like maybe try business, the business school. And Then of course my <laughs> thing is accounting. I'm like more numbers, but <laughs> but uh, but in biology and anatomy and physiology, uh, we talk a lot about vestigial structures, right? So okay. um, basically, through evolution. Um, our skulls have changed, the shape of our skulls and the function of our skulls and and jaws have changed, and yet we still have wisdom teeth, right? So wisdom teeth- Isn't that weird? structure. And so what do wisdom teeth do? They get you expensive dentist bills and very painful procedures, right? And it's sort of a, a way of life now. Everybody goes through it. Within organizations, we have so many vestigial structures as well. So everybody is facing this telework thing most companies and, and individuals within companies for the first time ever
1: right? right right and
0: they're trying to work from home why haven't they tried this before well because before there was no structure there was not the technology you couldn't the infrastructure wasn't there now it is so why don't we do it now because we never did it before
1: this is so and this is the old mentality that's been hold-
0: because we never did it before
1: this is, so. and this is the old mentality that's been holding on. Now, now you're going to get me on a rant.
0: <laughs>
1: this is the old mentality that's been holding since, I want to say, the, the mid to late 80s when things started to shift. Um, I, I literally remember the first time we had a gateway. When gateway first came out and they had the, the uh, black and white heifer cow uh, boxes. Yeah. You remember those? Mm-hmm. And AOL was the way we got to the internet
0: more prodigy
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and Netscape was the thing back then yeah. um, nothing, nothing that we have now when people started seeing that, oh, this is going to make things so good, this is going to revolutionize, blah blah blah, and it'll make work easier and then the first I remember hearing the first thought of working from home came around I want to say ninety three ninety four and Every structure, no, we can't do it. We have no way to to keep people accountable. We have no way to do this. We have no way to do that. Of course, the software programs weren't weren't available back then. And then you got now you got companies like Salesforce and Zoho and all these other things for the for the sales tracking. You have HubSpot for the marketing tracking. You have, I'm sure there's HR programs too. You have all this stuff that you can keep people accountable online, and you still have these old vestigial structures trying to hold on to the past by saying, "Well, no, no, we need you here so we can keep an eye on you." why you can keep an eye on them at home now what the heck
0: right but it, but everything has shifted everything has changed and and i have this theory that in the back of many managers mind is what if i'm of a vestigial structure right because these managers now if i'm not if you, if i am a micromanager type of manager there's already some insecurity there
1: oh yeah oh yeah
0: I think that I have to earn my wage by doing instead of instead of supporting right, and if that's how I think I have to earn my wage and I'm so insecure that I am in everybody else's work and always looking over shoulders and always checking in, then imagine if people can suddenly start going home what's my role yeah what's my role
1: they, they almost feel they, they almost feel like their worth there. isn't there anymore yeah exactly they right. they they lose their they, so first off, there's the insecurity. They, they, they actually already have in my, in my mind, they have in their mind a lack of self-worth
0: mm-hmm.
1: because as a successful manager, <clears throat> as a successful manager, <clears throat> you're able to delegate and leave parameters to work within, but leave the freedom for the person to perform right. at, their, at, their, at their utmost optimized level because now you're not, like you said, you're not looking over their shoulders you're giving them the chance to, to take an action. You know, here's the directive. Here's where we're headed. This is what we need to do. Let's see what you can do. Even when I used to work, um, I used to work with an angel uh, investment firm. That was one of the things that I, I evaluated whenever I talked to a prospect was your team. How do they work together? And if I caught anything where one person was in complete control and it was it was one of those deals where, yep, I say what goes and I delegate and I and I make sure everything gets done. And I'm like, how involved are you in that process? If I start hearing a lot of micromanaging, I make a suggestion that say, you may want to open up a little more space for your team to move around and 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 do things, because if they can cross collaborate even though this one's in this department and that one's in that department you have a greater chance for success because you're a startup
0: right
1: I got any pushback it was gone and and, well now that I know what the term is residual structures have always been um, stuck for lack of a better you know descriptive term Um, and I think that the old Forgive me, boomers, but I'm going to pick on you. The old guard only knows one way that works. Right. And, and why fix what's not broken? What's not realized is it's more broken from the outset when it first started. Simply right. because of the mentality of control versus freedom of, uh, freedom of creative, creative thinking and solution. Uh, solution creation. Does that makes sense?
0: Yeah, perfect sense. Who wasn't that said um, that that uh, it used to be that the smartest person in the room was the one with all the answers, and now we've evolved to a point where Siri has all the answers, and so the <laughs> smartest person in the room is the person with all the with all the best questions, right? And so expertise is not what it used to be. And so it really is about having these diverse teams, diverse in every way that come together and can be so much smarter than any singular manager.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, is that the the creativity that's now needed and is being seen more. I'm I'm starting to see it more, thankfully um, with the new generations, um, the millennials are coming along, just kidding. Uh, And, and, and the new generation Z, of which my son's a part of, he's like just about the just after the beginning of them. The way they work, and I've seen I've seen these kids when they study, if they they study in groups, and it's an interesting thing. And they, they even had it in a study, uh, an actual study where they watched this new generation, and what they do is it's it's really fun to watch. There'll be three, four, five of them. Some of them will start talking, one will get on the internet. Or two will get on the internet. And they start pounding away on Google and start looking for stuff. And they, you know, I've had conversations with my son. Now, my son's 18. He's pretty much secluded in his own room. He rarely comes out except to eat, teenagers. But when he comes out, if I start talking to him about a certain subject, I, I never really know just exactly how much he knows until I ask. And when I say, hey, have you seen this? Whatever subject. Oh, yeah, I've already seen that. Where do you see it? You're on the games all the time. He goes, no, I, I go online and I research To him, like, so what's your, you know, what's your opinion or well, what have you found? And, and he tells me and I look at him and I go, I, I couldn't come up with stuff that fast when I was his age. There was no way. And I look at it from the standpoint of if we have, if we have the ability to allow the creativity to integrate with our work teams where they can take an active interest in their project work or in the business. Um, And this this actually alludes to a, a very old book that I have a copy of, it's about that thick. And they talk about how you get the employee to take a vested stance in their work. Now, unfortunately, that one's more financial focus. You know, if you help us make more money, you get a bigger bonus. At the end of the year, it's back to that old that old structure. But the concept to me of, hey, this is a vested interest for all of us that you can take a part in, not so much for the bottom line. Yeah, that's a company's thing. But for your, for your bottom line in life that you're not you, – you don't come to work looking to, you know, just get stuff done and go home. You're actually like, you know, I need to talk to Lisa because I had this great idea last night. I need to run it by her. And you're not afraid to come in. Lisa maybe two levels above you. You're not afraid to go in to Lisa. Lisa has an open door, and she's just like, hey, what's up? You dump it on the desk. She critically thinks it. you guys powwow about it a little bit. It might be a subject on the next meeting. It may be something to put on a back burner for now, but here we have your idea. Valid idea. Maybe we'll try it. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I think if more companies – start taking that and, I, and i'm assuming this is something that you're studying that 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 i'm, I'm i hope i'm on the right path with this yeah. does, does this sound right
0: yes absolutely this so to have somebody's buy-in and collaboration is huge
1: so so when we're talking in the in the form of leadership let's go back to lisa she's got you know the open door policy come talk to me at any time um what's his name from that used to own zappos um tony tony shea was That's like that um, I remember taking a tour at Zappos when before they moved out of Green Valley, and literally in the middle of all of the the work operation, they had two floors. the top floor was all their customer service, the bottom floor was all the admin. Tony's office was one desk back from the walkway.
0: <laughs> I love it
1: there were and it and it wasn't no, there were no walls. he was in a, he was in an alleyway with one one guy in front of him, and that was the ambassador. And there was a clear walkway. You could go right behind the guy and go right to Tony's desk. This, right. this was a, this was a guy who got it. You know, when it comes yeah. to, this was, this was somebody who's, well, and he challenged some of the norms, the corporate structure and all that, the fastidial structure, if you will. Right.
0: Right.
1: He challenged it. It worked to a degree. There were, there were some challenges that they had to figure out because it was a culture shift. It was a huge culture shift yeah. within a corporate world. Yeah. Um, he had a great degree of success, in my opinion, because of the fact that he left it open as a leader to say, it's not me, guys. It's you. Right. So, when you, right. so when, you, when you talk about leadership, what do you tell people? Like, what do you tell the leaders of a company when they're challenged like this? Because more so now, after the last four or five months, I'm quite sure they're going to be seeing a ton more of these types of challenges come through because of all of the, the things that are going how do you how do you address that
0: right so first of all tony shay i'm a humongous fan of his and so many of us know his name right and we've sure. read his book and he's a yep. superstar but he's a guy who has who gave up control he was not the look at me i'm in charge yep. it, it was complete servant leadership so i yep. think that there's this um uh, misunderstanding that that in order in order to become uh, like get in those leadership roles you sort of have to be the one in the spotlight look at me boss say hey, check this out you know what and and be the superstar but once you're in leadership you're no longer the one in the spotlight you're the one controlling the spotlight right right, right. And, and there's something there's something lost in that because first of all so just within development of people right and and who do we promote we promote the superstar and it Oftentimes we run into the Peter Principle, where yes. you promote people to their level of incompetence, right? Yeah, so exactly. That salesperson, so you make them the sales manager. Never mind that. What makes a great person a great salesperson? Maybe somebody super independent and yeah. aggressive, yep. and and a, a, a lone cowboy, whatever. Maybe right? Yep. Yep. And then what? What maybe makes a great sales manager? Somebody collaborative, supportive, a team player. So then, so then you. Uh, you you basically take your best salesperson and fire them because mm-hmm. you are promoting them out of that role, right. and then you hire by promoting them into this role. You're promoting them into be a horrible manager. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I think I think even when that's not what's at play, there's there's mentally this gymnastics of having to go from what makes me a star here is to be a star performer. What makes me a star here is to Make a a office full of star performers, right? And just yep. be the one behind yep. the scenes.
1: Yep. I so, I think that I think in the in the past, and I've, I see, unfortunately, I still see this today, um, in a few industries where somebody that's a great producer is not a great manager. And right. I I've got a few stories of of different companies. And this is this is both at the low, mid, and high level. It doesn't matter where you go. You've got you've got sea level guys that shouldn't be sea level guys. You've got right. EVPs and VPs that shouldn't be VPs or VPs. And you've got these stars that are sitting on the bottom, going, "Jesus, this guy could steer the ship." Right. This this is the this is the guy that should be in charge, because they get it. They know where first off, and then again, you have the danger of promoting somebody into their incompetence because from the front line to the to the to the strategy room, it's two different two different mentalities. Right. You know. I'm I'm battling on the front lines with a with an M1 Garen versus I'm battling in the back room with a map.
0: Right. Right.
1: Two yeah. completely different yeah. places. So I think I think once you get to a point where you're going to promote a superstar, if that's the route you have to take, now comes the leadership role. Um, let me say that right. Now comes the leadership's role to develop the leadership in that superstar if possible
0: right they need to promote them correctly by looking at you've got all of this all of this data yeah um, so you shouldn't be looking at the person with the highest sales necessarily correct within within your sales team you should be looking for the ones who share um, the relevant the valid knowledge skills and abilities um, for being a great manager. And oftentimes when we hire people externally and we yeah. when we promote people internally, yeah. we miss the point and we don't even know what the job truly entails. So we start somewhere in the middle. And so then we bring people together, we bring somebody in and we have um, sort of this get to know you chat, right? Yeah, the, yeah. It's the, the, the unstructured interview where mm-hmm. we sit down and we and we talk to people. and And when we do something like that, what are we learning about the person? Exactly. we're learning whether whether they're really charismatic, but we're not learning anything about them, uh, how conscientious they are, what sort of abilities they have. We're not learning any of those things. And by the way, um, the person that we promote or hire is also probably going to resemble me because if I'm doing just an unstructured interview, then I'm probably going to have more in common with, middle-aged white balding guys because i'm a middle-aged white balding guy right and and so and so when there is no structure to or very minimal structure i always see organizations where they've got oh yeah i i once had a manager say i know how to pick the best person i know how to pick a person if they push if they don't push their chair in at the end of the interview they're out of here
1: wow really what really are you serious
0: yeah that was her thing she could tell everything she needed to tell so we always over um indulge ourselves and think that we are great judges of character but it doesn't matter for a good great judge of character right because in selection so i have had many roommates over my life the only one i'm still friends with is my wife because but <laughs> but why all of my roommates started off as friends but that's because i knew that we were friends i knew they were cool guys like that we're gonna have a lot of fun whatever I didn't know whether they wash their dishes at the end of the night. I didn't know whether they pay their bills on time. I didn't know whether they partied late into the night. Those are the relevant questions. And so when we say, I'm a great judge of character, I'm going to go into this interview cold and figure it out, you end up with really poor results. And that's that's for promotion as well as selection. And that's where all of this begins. You know, so, when,
1: so, so when you're looking at, because um, I, I love poking holes in this one, so when you start looking at the personality tests that some corporations have you take,
0: yeah
1: how, how accurate are those things? I mean, some people go, oh, that's super accurate, and then they get the job, and then eventually they get fired because they burn out, yeah. Which, yeah. Was not, which is not something that I think is assessed well enough in any of those personality tests, but I mean, how relevant are those?
0: So I I will not name any because I've gotten I've gotten in very heated discussions. With I'm people sure because I've stood in front of rooms of HR people, many of them who made money off of selling some of these tests. Oh, I bet, um, I bet. But and and just cut holes, like I said, right in the test, and <laughs> and uh, was not able to get out of there for like two hours because then, oh yeah, goodness, didn't know how wrong it was. But it's, so I stopped talking about specific tests. However. What I can tell you is that most of the tests, if you've heard of a personality assessment, ah. um, it's probably not one that's a that's a favorite of actual mm-hmm. IO psychologists, like actual um, testing experts and personality experts. Those tests are mm-hmm. that are that are much more in line with that. Are, include um, like the Hogan. You know, basically, we um, within within the you know evidence based world, we found that right now there's there's five sort of distinct pieces of personality that are that are pretty much innate and and don't really change outside of trauma and things like right, that right um and so that's that's uh things like extroversion versus introversion um agreeableness conscientiousness um uh openness to experience and and um uh what's the last one Char- uh charisma maybe yeah, i might be missing the last one so These are the ones, these are sort of the, the, um, uh, those are the true,
1: I was going to say, those are the true benchmarks.
0: Right. And, and what I find living in a world that's, that's, you know, I get on a lot of stages with a lot of motivational speakers and a lot of them bring a ton of knowledge and research to it. And a lot of them don't, um, there's, there's five sort of distinct pieces of personality that are, that are pretty much innate and, and don't really change outside of trauma and things like that. Right, um, And so that's, that's uh, things like extroversion versus introversion, um, agreeableness, conscientiousness, um, uh, openness to experience, and, and – um, uh, what's the last one? Uh, charisma, maybe? Yeah, I might be missing the last one. So the, these are the ones these, – these are sort of the, the – um, uh, those are the true
1: – I was going to say those are the true benchmarks.
0: Right. And, and what I find living in a world that's, that's, you know, I get on a lot of stages with a lot of motivational speakers and a lot of them bring a ton of knowledge and research to it. And a lot of them don't. Um, and whenever I hear somebody say always or never that my bullshit meter starts going off because <laughs> when you look at actual science, very few things are dichotomous, either that right. or this or right. that, right? Right. So Correct. some of these tests, you're either an extrovert or an introvert. That's, BS when I'm in front of crowds talking about selection I ask for the extroverts to put their hands up because the introverts mold, right so yeah right hands up. And, then, and then I'll call on somebody and say have you ever felt like the introvert in the world in the room and of course they've got many examples of when oh they sure because oh sure we're not either or on anything
1: we're um, a blend. So
0: many of the tests it's just irresponsible um, to even use them for selection and some of these tests tell you not to use them for selection or promotion um, but even the ones that are geared towards selection or promotion, you are not to use those as a standalone test. Yeah. Um, you, there you, go. you use them as part of a broader package to get the full picture yep. and to have a coaching conversation with the individual yeah. and, and sort of work things out with
1: them. So how often are you seeing that happen in structures that you consult with? Because I like for me, I'm an introverted extrovert. I'm an extroverted introvert. That's that's the term. So yeah. I'm the life of the party, but when the party's over, I got to get away from everybody. Yes, yeah. you know I have to go find some quiet time, just me. As it is when I work, my um, sometimes even here, I go out and I take a walk alone, because yeah. exactly. I just I need to get away from the energy. I'm I'm kind of empathic, if you if you will. Yeah. Uh, so um, it, it becomes like in a crowd, I'm not good. Right, right. If I know the crowd, I'm good, but in a crowd of of strangers. I'm not good. So how, do, you, do you see any of this, this do you see stru- um, corporate structures or, or any business structure, are they starting to move towards a more comprehensive view of how to select for either bringing in someone new or promotion from within? What are you so, seeing?
0: So what I've seen with the small to medium businesses that I've worked with, many, many of them, are just doing an unstructured interview. Sometimes I'll do two or three unstructured interviews, and that is it. Um, wow. With the larger organizations, as you get larger, oftentimes they will have a barrage of tools, but the final decision will then come down to the line manager, and right. the line manager will have a structured questionnaire in their hands. And I sat there and watched them look at the thing, sort of, mm-hmm, and then put it down and then just ask whatever questions came to their mind because they know better. And yeah. because the person doesn't pull in their chair, Good. obviously they're a shitty person. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, So so even in these big organizations where it's happening, the, the line managers don't understand the value of it. And they think that it's taking away from their credibility and also knocking them down as th- the, many of them value themselves as great judges of character. And they think that this is, um, that this is for the dummies, the, the people who, who are not great judges of character, but they have a great, whatever, and, and then, and then our confirmation bias kicks in, so oh. we remember all of the amazing people oh, that we yeah. hired, we point to them, and I hired them, anybody who, who, like, didn't work out, that's because they're just horrible, and they tricked you, and they're, you know, but but when we think about you just you just you just
1: proved that you're not that great a judge of character the moment that comes up (laughs) it's just like okay so you're not perfect is what you're saying oh right so we need to work on that we won't look at
0: that we won't look at that those those people it's them the great people it's us there's there's some great peer-reviewed research on on uh managers taking credit for their best employees and passing off all blame for their for their worst employees it's really interesting
1: how that works well it's interesting to me too that you know you mentioned small to medium-sized businesses using the unstructured version which to me makes a lot more sense because if you can't if you can't get a good feeling of the person one from your gut two from your conversation what makes you think they're going to be that good when they show up for work right i mean right. They, they, they might be there just for a job you don't want a jobber in your company if you're if you're a startup or you a small business and you're trying to grow Or if you're a small business and you plan on staying a small business and this person's more corporate minded you got a bad match
0: right so what is what is a structured interview though a structured interview is figuring out what knowledge skills and abilities and also you can work in questions about culture fit right yeah yeah and and you you take all these questions and then you work them out what all these all these things that you're looking for who's the perfect candidate and, and you and you take a look at this and by the way if you already have employees there is a great way to take care of this. You put together a test or an interview or um, a validated personality assessment or whatever it is, and you still have to validate it within your workplace. So then you take it to your best and worst employees, not telling them who they are. When I come in as a consultant, I do this. I say, give me your 10 best employees or your 10 worst employees. I'll never reveal who's who, but I need to know who's who. And we give them all the same assessment and we see the differences. And then it's like, oh, then it starts becoming clear why things look this way or why. Notice how these people answer in this way and these people answer in this way. That's a tell that we never really realized.
1: And and what would would you suggest? And by the way, for those of you listening to this, uh, here's a bullet point for you. Culture. Go learn what it freaking means because I can (laughs) tell you right now, if you're trying to get into a company, it has a culture by default, whether you think there is one or not. Yeah. Any place that has more than two people working for somebody else, there is a culture. Absolutely. You need to understand how it works and whether or not you would actually fit in. It's one of that was one of Zappos' biggest things. Do you fit the culture? Right. Do you fit their culture? And they they they, right. had they it, would bribe
0: you to leave, right?
1: Yes, they would bribe you to leave. <laughs> They'd be like, if you take this check, you don't have to. you you, you can you can go. You don't have to take the job. And uh, to my understanding at the time, this was probably back in. 07, I think, when they were still in Green Valley, 06, 07, to, to, to that date, they had one person take the check. One. Um, wow. One. So what does that tell you about the culture there? People knew the culture was a great place to be a part of. So again, bullet point, learn culture, understand what it means and where you might fit in and where you might not fit in before you make that application and waste time, yours or anybody else's. Um, the other point that I wanted to make, and now that I went after culture, I'm going to have a brain fart here. Uh, <laughs> the, the other point I think is, is, has to do with going back to leadership and how to integrate all of this. I got to run the gambit. When, you, when you're looking at it from the standpoint of a business owner in a larger corporate structure and you have a manager, let's see if I can make this work, and you have a manager who's looking at hiring somebody new, and they do these unstructured and they, and they mix the culture and they do all of these, these assessments. Oh, how often should you reassess in order to main, make sure that the culture is maintaining and thriving?
0: Right, right, definitely. I mean, these pulse interviews are really important. Uh, these, these pulse surveys, right? Where we used to do the, the annual employee engagement survey and a yes. lot of companies still do that. But having pulse surveys go out constantly, being checking uh, checking in with people, and by the way, anytime you ask a question, you better be ready to to react to the answer. So I have a, I have a friend who went to a restaurant. The restaurateur comes out to the table and says, "How is everything?" He's making his rounds, right? Right. right. How is everything? And and they say, "Well." Actually, at at the counter, the guy was a little rude. And then when we finally got our food, it was cold. And he starts saying, "That's impossible!" And starts fighting them. It's oh like, no! Why the hell did you ask the question? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So if you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. And so and so this this uh, this friend of mine blasted the guy and the and the place on social media and said, "I'm not going back." And how many other people were affected by that message? Right. We're talking about it in Nevada right now. So yeah, so Yeah. Um, so uh so the so that's very much when imp- when managers so anytime i go into an organization it, there's usually an assessment piece to it right Sure, right, sure going sure. out and after and before i ever start um going down that route i explain to the business owner or manager or whoever my point of contact is if i implement this if i ask these questions there's there's a this concept called reactivity people will start reacting just to the question itself and they are going to assume that something is going to be taken care of based on the thing. So no pulse survey should ever go out, no engagement survey should ever go out without being followed up by a detailed uh, memo from management. Here's what we heard and here's what we're doing about it. If If you miss that mark one time, the next time you give that survey
1: Nobody's it, gonna do it. it's
0: going to be radio silence yep. and only only answered with anger
1: Yep. usually and that's and that's just because the people it, <laughs> it's being mirrored right now um, out in public that people don't feel they're being heard
0: right right
1: and yeah. if, if you're if you whether you have 2 employees or 10,000 employees if you're not in some way acknowledging that that was not just some piece of paper or some quick survey for you to fill out on a form, and now it sits in a back room and nobody gives a shit. You actually have interest in what the people that are a part of your culture are feeling, thinking, um, assessing, because they're, they're assessing too. They they take daily they take daily assessments when they get to work. Right, Jim looks like he's hurting. Lisa looks like she's, she's about to go take a dump somewhere. You know, it's, you, you have that happening within the culture and the moment you ask them for their opinion, well, who gives a shit right. versus, uh, oh, I got to tell them about this. And they, and they go ahead and they tell that Mark that you just mentioned, which is coming back and going, Hey, we heard you guys. This is what we heard. Any one of them sees their, their, their common in there, obviously anonymous, if you're smart, right. um, they'll look at that and go, Oh, that was me. I wrote that. Oh shit. Right. They heard it. Okay, Cool. And then, and then I would think that a continual follow up, because 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 you're laying out the strategy. This is what we're looking at doing. We may not be able to answer all of these, but here's here's where we think we can make the best moves right now. Right. And some of these will move on later. You know, that, at least at that point, people feel they've been heard. And as right. a as as a leader, when you give credit to your other leaders, and this is something that I still see missing in some cases. When you, when you as the leader, the CEO, the president, whatever the hell you are. Come back and go. The rest of the management team has pointed out that all of these things <clears throat> are actually happening and they're quite relevant. I hear you. This is the strategy that we're laying out. Stay in touch with your manager to find out how things are progressing. Right. right. One, you've shown you're not a micromanager. Two, you've shown you've got heart. Three, you've shown that there's some actual freedom to work right. because you've delegated rather than trying to do the iron fist grip. And you have made it easier for your culture to thrive. I would think, is yeah. is that what is that what you're finding?
0: Absolutely. And it, you know, often, oftentimes, those middle managers have it wor- the worst because it will be <laughs> dictated to them what we need this sort of culture, and we need to empower our people, and, and they are in the process being being given no power, right? Yeah. Being yeah. Completely cut out, and and um, so they they have to translate the message you know as they say shit rolls downhill though so when they're treated a certain way it doesn't matter what you're saying to them they're going to start treating their employees like that
1: it's- the worst the worst in my opinion this is this in a you know 550 get you a cup at starbucks <laughs> in my opinion the worst thing that a, a manager could possibly be forced to say sorry my hands are tied yes that is the absolute worst thing and i i I get i get a little upset over it and a little emotional about it because i know over the years there have been many people that have been forced to say that simply because they weren't given the leeway to make a call Mm -hmm. that they were better qualified to make than the president or the gm or the, the c level and i also know on the other side of that coin that i know some some great leaders that are ceos that you better make the choice you know what's going on i don't i'm not there right i need you to help this work and they really enlist and get buy-in from their their middle managers to go hey we all have to shine you got to get your team to do this but i can't okay what is it that you're facing and they strategize and they plan and they give them you know they give relevant perspective etc etc so I won't get into what generations I think are most responsible for that. That's, a, that's, an, that's another conversation for another time. But, but I think when you have leaders that are more empowering and give the freedom and are open to the middle managers pushing back like that mm-hmm. versus here's your marching orders, just go. And then what the hell did you do that for? Right.
0: right. Which
1: still happens to this day. I still yeah. hear it. Yeah. And and it's 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 really frustrating. How do you how do you change a culture like that? So, that you when when you when you run into that kind of thing.
0: So the culture has to start with the values. And culture makes life easier for everyone and better for everyone.
1: Thank you for saying this out loud.
0: <laughs> but if we have clear values and I understand them and I've internalized them and it's not just repeating back these five values seven values whatever it's a, it's not the proverbial values written on the wall it is what we live and it is where we what we live and die by
1: Southwest Airlines.
0: and i then i never ever have to tell you um what type of decision to make because i just want you to be guided by the values the values tell you what decision to make so Back in my ice cream parlor, I had very clear values. We were there to make people happy, to make the world a better place, to do the right thing and to have an impact. So one day I wasn't there. I didn't have my cell phone. Imagine that, right? If you want your <laughs> people to have work-life balance, then you right. better, or whatever we want to call it, you better, you better live it as well, right? Yep. It, you yep. gotta be safe to trust your people sometimes. So my my uh, I had a customer walk in and he was coming to pick up a cake for his grandmother's birthday right he parked in an adjacent parking lot where these guys were vultures they just had um they had these like uh tow trucks just sitting at the edge of the parking oh lot oh my gosh
1: that's um, terrible
0: and it was a grocery store parking lot so he parked there went into the grocery store uh put his stuff in the trunk and then crossed over to come get some ice cream and or to come pick up the ice cream cake
1: and they towed it
0: over gets the cake walks out it's raining now He's holding the bag, walking through the parking lot. Can't find his car. Turns out it's towed. Pouring rain. Bottom of the bag breaks open. His cake falls to the ground and smashes in the in the adjacent parking lot. You're not kidding when you say
1: vultures. That's that's horrible, (laughs) dude.
0: Right. So this guy comes in and he is super nice, not upset, not aggressive toward toward my people at all. Um, But he says to the ship leader that was there, he said hey, this, this happened, and I know I wasn't supposed to park there, but I went in there first, so I didn't think they told me whatever. He said, I know uh, you probably can't do anything, but um, if I buy a new cake, could you just write happy birthday, grandma, on it again?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: This, this supervisor grabbed a new cake out of the freezer. She knew that those cakes cost us about, I forget what it was, eight bucks, you know. Um, she comped the cake. Eight bucks, we sold We just sold them one for 35 and it costs us eight bucks, so 16 bucks, right? She grabs the cake, writes on it. Then she puts the man and the cake in her car and drives him to her grandmother's house, to to his grandmother's house, to the party.
1: That's culture. That
0: happened without me being available. I don't know that she even tried calling me. She made this decision based on our values. She made that decision. So that, that's the, that's, that's what culture is.
1: That's, that's a true reflection of it.
0: Then she puts the man and the cake in her car and drives him to her grandmother's house, to, the, to his grandmother's house, to the party.
1: That's culture. That
0: happened without me being available. I don't know that she even tried calling me. She made this decision based on our values. She made that decision. So
1: that,
0: that's the, that's, that's what culture is.
1: That's that's a true reflection of a culture that is thriving, well accepted, thriving, and profitable. Yeah,
0: absolutely. because I
1: guarantee you, that man told everybody and his and their brother, "You want a cake? You go over there, because this yeah. is what they did for me." That actually, that that would have been a PR release right there, buddy. Just yeah. just, saying, <laughs> right. just saying, just saying, just saying. opportunity. Um, you know, <laughs> <clears throat> Two examples for you of, of, again, where that stands out in my mind um, quite plainly. Um, One no longer exists, unfortunately, because they're no longer around. And the management company is, but it belongs to a different culture now. When it was its own culture, the Mm -hmm. Ritz-Carlton, I actually worked for them uh, back on Maui. Same style of values. Their employees were so empowered – if something went wrong, you didn't call the manager. You dealt with it right there. And their guests came to know that, yeah, if we have a problem with a meal, a room, a service, we can literally say, hey, this was, to me, wasn't right, wasn't good. I know that a lot of the hotels around here, when somebody says, hey, uh, I ended up having to, like, like just recently um, – the the dry cleaning didn't come back on time, so I ended up having to buy a three hundred pound three hundred dollar pair of pants from Joss Banks. Huh. I feel for you, but that's not our responsibility, sir. That would be the dry cleaners. The Ritz Carlton, sir. Be at your room in a little bit. I'm going to see what I can do, and I I can almost guarantee you that guest would have been reimbursed. Yeah.
0: Because
1: yeah. even though it wasn't the company's fault, there was a service mishap. There was a miss. So Ritz Carlton doesn't want their guests upset about the miss. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. It's our guests. We're going to take care of them. The other one, Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, their employees know the model. They know the values. Why? Because they love it. Right. It's it's a culture that you can love to be a part of. And it doesn't matter. And it's not just the flight attendants. You go down on the ramp. Same story. Guys on the ramp are just as just as much involved and in, in part of the culture as the flight attendants, the captains, and the and the the uh, agents. Their agents, I, I've noticed that, like, the difference between me going, walking up to a, a Southwest Airlines desk and a, and a, forgive me, you guys, United, Delta, any of them, <laughs> right. any of them, Southwest, nice. They're, they're good. They, they're, they're processing, and they, they, they've got their commuter deal, and they move fast. They try to do the best they can, but they always try to make you smile, or they always try to say something encouraging, or they always try to, they try to make it an, a, a UX experience that's really worthwhile. Yeah. It's part of their values.
0: Right, and why do, why do literally celebrities and people with a ton of money who could be getting a nice you know, business class seat every time they fly, flying Southwest? You see people on Southwest that you're like, why are you flying on the coach airline? It's because of the values and the service that comes from
1: that. Me personally, I think they're looking for that one guy that raps or the comedian. One of those yeah. two. <clears throat> I, yeah, I know we've all seen those videos, but no, that's, that's, and that's, and that's another part of their culture is they, they encourage entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a um, trend coming out now is edutainment, which is now coming out for the marketing side of things. Yeah. You know, we have to be entertaining with our marketing, but we have to be educational at the same time because people are bored with just somebody who's just making a fool of themselves. They want to know what the hell's going on. So, okay. So back to leadership. When you're looking at that's one. So making sure that the values are clear. Um, I'm actually. I actually have. Um, uh, I work with a rice spirits company, and the CEO and I, you know, we're always talking. It's not a huge company. It's a small, small batch deal. Um, but one of the things that was brought up is, hey, have you guys established your your values yet? I says, well, the values are, are are the same as what Grandma's values were. And the moment he says, so what are they? I went, oh shit, we need to sit down and go talk about this, right. because it's it's not clear on a video on a website. Right It's clear in our heads, but nobody else knows that why would you buy my rice spirits just because right. just because purity and and community and, and those kinds of values are part of our culture, the rest of our culture, our customers, they have no idea right.
0: right so
1: so building upon that, what other things do you think matter when it comes to effectively creating that culture
0: so I think Uh, Another piece of it is control, right? And this is also a big piece of the burnout picture, right? Okay, okay. Um, People need to be given autonomy. They need to be given decision control. um, And they need to feel like they're in the driver's seat to a certain extent. Um, I was once taking a – well, giving a tour. I used to own a Uh small tour company on those scooters and whatever. Nice. My buddy had one of those too. That's awesome. Back when they were cool before every kid has some – like yeah. gyroscope thing whatever yeah <laughs> but, uh, and by cool I mean extremely nerdy absolutely but, <laughs> but, uh, so so we we gave tours all around and uh for me to to learn the route I would gather local like politicians and celebrities and things like that so I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the ride you give me the tour right you know exactly so I can learn as much exactly so I'm taking a bunch of uh ex-mayors of this small town um, around this community, and we get to a crossing, a cross light, and so I lean over my Segway and start pushing the walk button, and and, uh, and then we're waiting there for a couple more minutes, and I lean over again and push the walk button, and one of the mayors starts laughing. I said, what? He said, "That doesn't do anything." I said, "What do you mean it doesn't do anything?" He said, "We had those installed when I was a mayor." He said, "He said I had a choice. I could either put them in and have them wired up so that they actually started timers so that you could cross." Or I could put them in and not have them wired and save the city like $60,000 or something. Oh, my gosh. So the question is, besides for the moral implications, the question is, why did he do it? Why did he he spend a dollar if it doesn't work? Right. But it's because I felt like I'm in control when I'm pushing that. So it actually has an impact, even if I'm not truly in the driver's seat, me just feeling like I'm in the driver's seat. It gives me a sense of ownership and a sense of impact, and so I don't become as um, as uh, you know anxious or angry or or uh, upset that I'm that I'm waiting so long for the cross light because there's an action for me to do. So
1: you uh, you 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 brought a new definition to the term control at that
0: point. <laughs> Right, right, right,
1: it's, but it, it becomes the placebo effect. It's
0: it's exactly the placebo effect. But but what what I would always do within my own management roles was any decision, even if it was already made, I would go out and talk to my, sure. my people, absolutely and give their input, and and by the end, everybody felt like it was their decision. Sometimes it couldn't be their decision, but that right. didn't matter. Because they needed to feel ownership of it. Yeah, right? they have to
1: be a part of it some way. Right,
0: and and obviously to have an open mind, and you end up learning things, and learning that no, you're not the smartest guy in the room. It's actually this person who has served, you know, ten times the amount of customers or clients as you yep. ever have, Yep. Yeah, um, that actually knows everything. You know, in this in this climate right now, so much of what's missing and so much of what's le- leading the burnout right now, et cetera, with, with this coronavirus is the uncertainty. You mm-hmm. turn on the, on the yep. TV and you see politicians that are, that are um, uh, you know, uh, contradicting each other, and then you see politicians get up and contradict themselves in a single sentence. It's, <laughs> it, it's infuriating, and it you don't is. feel like you have any control. And, and the leading precursor to depression is learn helplessness right yeah, and yeah. that's the concept that whatever i do i cannot control my fate Great. and by the way um managers with this sort of mindset are the worst because oh, yeah. they're so a fair they take no personal responsibility for anything yep. because they can't control anything but but um when we're feeling this huge level of uncertainty the thing that that managers and leaders need to do is they need to reach out and Give something, even if it's just a button on a pole. Yeah. Give them something. Yeah, They yeah. feel like they have control over something in their lives.
1: Yep. I, I think that the term that, that is, is most wanted by humans is relevance. Yeah, right. If they yeah. don't feel relevant in what they're doing, mm-hmm. depression and anxiety will come in quick. And, and during the whole quarantine thing, we saw that, that, that stat in an anxiety and yes. depression jump right because people that were at home doing nothing and the right. only thing they had was the home life the work life integration or the work life balance whatever you call it was no longer there
0: right right i mean of course
1: the, the, the joke that was always coming you know like i went home I, I met this woman said so was my wife seemed like a nice person <laughs> you know th- you get that joke running around but you still have that you still have that kind of anxiety buildup when you're not doing one what you're used to You know your routine's obviously been interrupted pretty badly, but you're also looking at the fact that I don't get to do the thing that I was hired to do. I don't get to provide for my family. I don't get to. I don't get to. I don't get. I would think any any wise leader, like I know that the um, there's a hotel casino down the street from me called Green Valley Ranch. The hotel uh, the hotel manager was reaching out to every employee by text and by email. Hey, how you doing? I'm like, right. are you serious? We're closed down and you're reaching out? It's like, yeah, I want to make sure everybody's cool. Right. That is somebody that needs to be a director.
0: And, and by the way, that's as valuable for that leader as it is for any of the employees that he calls.
1: Intensely. Intensely. Yeah. Because they get to, like you said, it's a pulse that's check. That's their sense of purpose. Yeah. That's their sense of purpose. It's a pulse check for them. They know what's going on. They know what to expect when they come back.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that I... I any leaders that do that by the way that are listening to this, I applaud you. Please keep doing it. Don't stop. It's it's amazingly priceless for your employees, the people that are part of your culture. If you want to call them your family, your family. Right. Um, but I I don't think there's enough of that yet. Right, right. And leading post COVID, what other pieces of it what other pieces of advice would you say are most important for a leader to take into consideration? Like right now, because things are starting to open again. So right. what would you say would be the best piece of advice you could give them?
0: Don't expect things to be normal right away. <laughs> you know, you need, you, need to, you need to offer support. And there's yeah. this yeah. idea that you come to work and now you're at work like we talked about. And that could be a very dangerous idea sometimes. Oh, yeah. I think we're, we're scared to poke beyond that. I know – that's almost uh, a Tinder COVID. box
1: if you think about it. I mean, right,
0: right. And for COVID, that's true. Um, I was on a call the other day where this young African American woman said to me, um, "She said, she said, you know, I went to work the other day, and my manager did not mention anything about Ferguson or or um, uh, Ferguson, where? Uh, no, I'm uh, the the man, Floyd, Minas- Minas- Minnesota, Floyd. Min- Minneapolis, Minneapolis. Yes. They didn't mention anything about Floyd. Didn't mention anything. Uh, didn't ask her if she's okay and whatever. And and as a little white guy, I understood the manager, like because we are taught, you know, as
1: you don't um, bring up racial with, issues at work.
0: With it, right in business. No, no, I don't see color, and yeah. that's what we're supposed to do. But it, it's, it's different. There's a whole human here, and this yeah. human is going through trauma. Yep. You know, for you to not check in is irresponsible. Not for you to for you to check in isn't the insensitive thing. For you to not check in and just say, are you okay? Yeah. That's the responsible thing to do. And yep. and 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 not just with your employees of color, with everybody about yep. this issue and about corona in general. Nothing in the world feels okay right now. Right. And many people are um, you know, I I'm blessed, I live in a little bubble with my kids that distract yep. me all that. But some people are much closer to these issues and much oh, yeah. more connected th- than these uh, to these issues than others oh, yeah. and if you want the privilege of calling yourself a leader then be a leader yeah. um, and that's understanding the whole human and it's not it's not starting a whole long conversations which many people don't want and feel as right. awkward as right. you to have them right. Right. But, but bring it up you know just say I'm here for you like ask how somebody's doing and show them that support, thats that, that emotional support that they so need, but also organizations should be building in the, into their infrastructure, into their culture. They need to have avenues for their employees to show support for each other. Yep. And there's so many great technologies that, that um, allow you to do that, allow yep. you yeah. to give kudos to people and, and, yeah. and things like that. Um, but, but give people <laughs> space um, to, to do those things and, and give them the support Give them a sense of of purpose and a sense of um, a sense of autonomy, um, and then and then the final thing is to to cut back on those vestigial structures. and yeah. and get your policies both written and unwritten, and figure out why they're there. And yep. if your only, only answer is because they've always been there, then get rid of them. Yeah. get rid of them.
1: Yeah. What 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 some people have mistaken is that if it isn't if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. If, if you're already, at, if in many cases, not all, if that's the reaction, it's already broken. Right. Yes. A, a right. company is not a piece of paper that you write down something once. It's a dynamic organization that changes. So therefore the culture will change. Whether you like it or not as a leader, the culture is going to change. Like this right. whole thing of just being able to touch. Um, two examples. The first one being the doctor. When the doctor takes your pulse, or the nurse, excuse me, when the nurse takes your pulse. She puts a bag around your arm and puts her stethoscope on your on – your, right here, your elbow. Right. Or this one. Right. And that's – when I was a personal trainer, this is how we took pulses or like this. And the point of that is I don't need to know what's going on with the rest of your body. I just want to make sure that you're all right. I want to make sure that you got a pulse for one <laughs> and, that, and that it's not too fast and it's not too slow. It's not too hard. It's not too soft that I can't feel it. This as a leader is, is insanely valuable because the more you do that, the easier it is for that person to go, well, they care, they care. Right, Um The other, the other example, brain fart again, the other example has to do with the same idea is being that dynamic, being that dynamic leader allows you to see past the specific issue. In other words, like what happened in Minneapolis. There's a lot of information rolling around about that. And no, we don't want to get into a long, drawn-out conversation. But checking in with somebody, oh, a suggestion. That was the other one, a suggestion for leaders. For those that can, and I would say within the, the sphere of influence that you manage. In other words, and if it's set up right, you've only got as many as you know four or five. But to send one a note every once in a while, two levels below you, if possible. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, Lisa, give me the list of emails in your department. Why? Well, you don't have more than 10. I want to send out a note to one of them and only to that one person. And it doesn't have to be this long drawn out. Hey, you're wonderful, blah, blah, blah. It's just, hey, I want to tell you, I appreciate you. Without you, this, this culture wouldn't exist and this company wouldn't run. Thank you for what you do. The amount of pride, I guess, in the culture, and in themselves. What that does to somebody when they, go, when they go home, CEO sent me a note today. I didn't even think he knew who I was. Right. Well, pre- president or, or manager acknowledged it, something that, you know, I thought it was trivial. But apparently it matters. Yeah. It matters at every given second. So the more we do that, like what you suggest, I think continues to get the buy-in, and it makes it easier for future buy-in even when things are tough
0: yeah i mean how many people do you know who were furloughed um when i'm talking to people who are furloughed some of them understand or at least they say they completely understand whatever i've had a lot of conversations recently with people saying i was furloughed but so and so wasn't i thought they yeah. uh, respected my work better than that and then right. And then in times like this we do a lot of sense making sure and meaning making yeah we try to like process all of this right um and those conversations are happening inside our heads and between us as employees yep um and if managers are not entering that conversation they ha- those conversations are happening anyway yep. the more information you can give right now the better if there's a system to figure out who why certain people are furloughed and others, which there probably should be to protect yourself as an yeah, yeah That absolutely. system should be made known, right? Um, but even more so, people are gonna come back and they're going to feel expendable. If you laid people off, we know this about layoff yeah. survivor's skill, that yep. the survivors, the people who, who remain in the organization, the people who were never laid off the ones who should be bowing at your feet and saying oh yeah thank you so much for keeping me or or having the self-esteem to say I was worth keeping those, right sorry. that's not how it works no nope. we look how we look <laughs> at your behaviors and we look how God, you laid those people off and now we feel insecure I know somebody yeah. who left the company four years after a merger and acquisition which came with a bunch of layoffs because he harbored the uh, the animosity toward the company all of that time since that layoff. And by the way, when my you know, so much of my business comes to me because of turnover. And yeah. I always say the only thing more dangerous than high turnover, or more costly rather than high turnover, is when those people are not turning over. Right. If <laughs> you have right. high burnout and right. people are not leaving, and you don't have to look further than the legal industry for this, large law firms, very low turnover, very high um, in terms of depression. Uh, drug abuse um all sorts of um uh infidelity all sorts of things that come with people who are not finding meaning in their work right yep yep and so so now is the time to be reaching out to people and over communicating and showing your gratitude and 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 letting them know how much how much you uh how much you value them and for the people who you are value them and for the people who you are laying off um, those people need to be given a path. They need you need to be there for them. Uh, you can't just you can't just cut and run and say, well, clearly it's the economy. Clearly it's COVID. No, 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 no. That's not going to get you off the hook. If your people who survive see that you do that you put together a job fair for those people, or that that you are writing references for them, that you're mentoring them, that you're bringing in resume writers for them, yep. Then the people who survive. Now, instead of burning your trust with them, you are building your trust with
1: them yeah i i think um one of in my work life history when I worked in the hospitality industry, I remember leaving one of the um one of the properties because there was just no nobody was moving, and i there was nowhere for me to go up um, right. I remember the g m um the a g m excuse me um and I having a conversation in his office he says i was giving my two weeks' notice, and he's like really sucks you're one of our best managers i'm like there's nowhere to go dude what am i supposed to do i can't sit here and keep making the same money and he's like i understand i totally get it he says you put me down as a reference on any jobs that you go for i'm writing you a recommendation and he was probably he was probably he wasn't the most visible to us but he knew what i did and he knew my work ethic and he knew what you know how much i was dedicated to the department i was running and it was just like, yeah, dude, you, I, I, it's gonna suck. You're leaving, and I know who's next in line. And as much as you guys have brought the uh, department forward, you and your former boss, the next kid's not gonna be half as effective as you. And I'm like, well, don't tell him that. But <clears throat> you know, you know, raise him up. He doesn't know. We're gonna put him through training and stuff like that. But <clears throat> you came to us with a, with with work ethic, and you changed the department that had no work ethic into one that does. Right. So. Um, you have my support. That's the kind of stuff that matters. Um, one last question for burnout. As an employee, what are the signs? How do you deal with it?
0: Yeah, so, so burnout stands on three legs. Okay. Um, emotional exhaustion, which mm-hmm. is often understood as exhaustion, but in reality, it's emotional exhaustion. It's, it can then um, – you can then start to have physical signs Um, you know, headache, uh, sleepy all the time, stomach aches, all those things can, can sort of uh, come from this added stress and burnout. Uh, But it, but in reality, it's, it's a very specific type of exhaustion, uh, which is, which starts with, with that emotional exhaustion and and comes from those barriers in your work that stand between you and your work.
1: Right. The
0: second piece is, um, cynicism or depersonalization. Oh yeah, and, yep. and when we talk about burnout, originally it started in the areas of, of uh, social work and medicine and things like that. So what we first started noticing about burnout in those times was that people would start pulling themselves away mm-hmm. um, from their patients. And so we thought, oh, it must be those patient interactions that are burning people out. No, no, no. This is you are cynical about your job already yep. and yep. now you're pulling yourself away from, uh, your patients and your, and, and even if it's not patient facing now because burnout affects everybody, it's any, any of that cynicism where you now don't believe in the work anymore. Um, and then the last part is a, a decreased, uh, sense of personal accomplishment. Uh, you start to feel like you're spinning your wheels and nothing's being done. And it, this, oftentimes your productivity is suffering because now, you're exhausted and cynical, and, and it's gonna happen. And other times, it's that you just don't see it. So a lot of times, personal accomplishment—you'll um, you'll have that like uh, flip of the switch when um, you know when we come in uh, to an organization, we don't just give—we um, don't just—we don't just do the you know bare minimum. I've right. never hired somebody who I thought was gonna do the bare minimum and stick to the job description.
1: <laughs> <Right>. Anybody
0: worth <laughs> worth hiring and keeping. Somebody who's going to go above and beyond. So we sure. go above and beyond. And when our managers don't, we don't feel like we are getting the, our managers are showing the gratitude that we're going above and beyond, even though we're not doing it for that. We're martyring ourselves, right? Right, we exactly. We're going to do it. And yep. they don't have to give me anything in exchange besides for my pay and bonuses, right. whatever they promise me. But one day you look to the right and you see that Nancy is doing the same exact job as you are. Um, she's got the same title, but she's doing half the work and getting the same pay. Or you look and say, "I'm doing all of this, and what? They give me a pizza party once a quarter, <laughs> you know? Like, where's my Christmas card?" Right. Right.
1: Exactly. With my um, bonus, so, please. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, so those are the those are the three biggies: um, that that uh, emotional exhaustion, um, cynicism, and lack of uh, personal accomplishment. And okay. it's just this idea that you just you you need to get away. You need to you need to um, you're done with this with this work
1: is that is that the point when you should start considering that, or is that is it some what else what what can somebody do once they recognize any one of these three because it's one th- these look like they all lean on each other so if, if if one's in place, there's some degree of the other two i'm assuming um, right. I, can't, so, I can't I can't see that not happening
0: right, yes, so what you know most people when they come and they talk about burnout, uh, most people in my space will start talking about resiliency right yeah resilience yeah. resilience, <laughs> resilience. <clears throat> I personally um, talk about resilience to a degree because it is very important to mm. be healthy, to get out, to give yourselves breaks, to yep. Um, yep. exercise, uh, yep. all of these things, stress relief in, in whatever way. All that stuff is important. Um, setting up boundaries is extremely important. Yeah. Um, but what I find is, and, and I'm in good company because the, one of the founding researchers on burnout um uh uh, maslach christina maslach she um she she uh you know has written papers to this extent that we have put too much too much we concentrate too much on on resilience and in a lot of ways that's victim shaming or victim blame right like telling the girls her fault for wearing the short short skirt right We're, we're gonna we're saying we're gonna abuse the heck out of you and then we're gonna teach you how to take it you know and and there's a problem with that there's a there's a, there's, this there's in the a marines
1: what are you doing this isn't the, this isn't the marines of the army they're not right, a drill sergeant right. what the heck
0: <laughs> right there's a problem with that but what's, what 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 um, do we have in our arsenal so um, probably a good half if not more of my speaking engagements right. are speaking to employees not yeah yeah I would managers. think, I, would and think so. I don't talk about resilience with them except for uh, only as a small piece of it but what I talk about is – and the title of, of one of my talks is Building a Kinder Kind of Workplace, right? Nice. Be the change you want you want to see, right? Sure, sure, that, sure. That you don't need an official title to be a leader. This is yeah. one of the huge misnomers that, that you need to be called manager to be a manager. In my entire career, I've had so many employees come to me and ask to become a manager, and my response would always be uh, become a manager and then I'll give you the title. Because yeah. once you have the power – um, then I'll give you the title that gives you that legitimate power. But yeah. the legitimate power is the weakest form of power. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. really it's, it's um, you know, this w- when you're a leader, you'll know it. Um, but yeah, it's
1: internal. It always starts with the inside first. If you can't lead yourself, how do you expect to lead others?
0: Exactly. And so and so, being able to regulate your own emotions and to be able yeah. to go, go out and, and, and be a positive change, yep. being, having a positive outlook, Yep. Um, you know we have these mirror neurons that that yeah. fire off that that um, we we uh, practice mimicry as yep. as humans right as yep. private, yeah we do, we do this. Yep. Yep. and, and it's it, it's so impactful because if you are if you are going in and and with this positive attitude then other people will greet you with the same positive attitude yeah we yep. think there's so much power in answering somebody else's sassiness back to them right. And and I always say to people, you know what you're being? You're being a dummy. It's yeah. like it's like a ventriloquist doll is a dummy. You know, like you pull the <laughs> arm and then the arm goes up and then you pull the other thing. And the, yeah. Right? Stop being a dummy. Yeah. If, if you're if you are just meeting everybody where they are, yep. exactly where they are, so they they come at you with this high energy and they're upset and whatever, and then you greet them right up there and I'm gonna I'm gonna defend my honor. No, you're not being honorable by doing that. You're, you're being a dummy by doing exactly, that. So exactly, exactly. The real power I agree. Is, by, is by allowing them to, to do that and then remaining, keeping your calm and yep. keeping your positivity. Yep. And then things will begin to change around you drastically.
1: Yeah, you're always in control of your own environment. And when I say your own environment, everybody thinks, well, my environment's everything. around." No, no, no. Your own environment starts yeah. in here. As, as, and I'm pointing to my head, which means your brain. For those that are listening on the podcast, I forget sometimes that we're putting this on audio, but right. this is where your environment starts. If this environment is messed up, everything outside is going to be messed up. I don't care how pretty it; It could be the most beautiful place in the world. If this environment is messed up, you could be in the most zen space possible on the planet. It will not change. It will not help. Right. This has to be taken care of first. I, I completely agree. You're going to love this. We've gone an hour and a half, my friend. Oh man! <laughs> and 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 I and I, I tell you right now I don't want to stop. However, <laughs> people got jobs; they got to get back to. You. <laughs>
0: yeah, and we've been drinking a lot of coffee. I we, you know what? I, I, this, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yes. And and not that I'm afraid. Are you afraid? Um, <laughs> you have a, <laughs> caffeine doesn't hurt you until after the twenty fifth cup. Just saying. Um,
0: <laughs> twenty five. I'll take your word <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: the, don't don't get close to it. It's not pretty. Um, so for one thanks david the insights here i'm I'm sure are just they're going to be really eye-opening for a few of my listeners very encouraging for many others um i think for the most part you've probably validated a whole bunch of people that have been wondering about a few of these subjects on burnout and on on environment leadership um i'd love to have you back to talk more about other stuff too because this is this has been an easy conversation i love these um, like I said, we, we could probably go for another hour. I just, we need to, we, we need to wrap it up. But let me, let me ask you one last thing. Obviously you have your, your company illuminate. You've, you've, you personally, as a business owner, out of all of the successes that you have and, and, and to have gotten to where you're at now, what's, what's your biggest challenge that you're dealing with right now?
0: Um, so Corona is, uh, has been a big challenge, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. um, all of my consulting gigs sort of went on pause. Yeah, um,
1: so did ours. Trust me.
0: <laughs> right. Most of most of my speaking gigs kind of um, uh, some of them went virtual, but many many of them were canceled um, or rescheduled. So there's there's always these challenges. But you know, small business ownership and entrepreneurship to me it's like a roller coaster, and, I, yes, it is. and I'm excited about every every ebb and flow uh you know my grandfather used to say that that um life is is a never-ending circle yep um so when you're on top never be too haughty yeah and when you're on bottom never despair because you'll always be in the next position yep Um, and so i'm i'm big on controlling my controllables Um, and so this has been an amazing opportunity to be um doing more of these with with you and other podcasts and And um, to be with my kids and, you know, like I said, I've got five of them. I think I've got all their names down now. (laughs) Uh, You know, know, it's really given me some opportunity for bonding with them. And it's just been a beautiful time. Now, if I was so focused on the things that were out of my control, many of the things out of my control are kind of scary right now. Oh, sure. Um, But all the things that are in my control are really, really beautiful elements that's amazing um, to be able to work on my business and to and to meet people like you and to be there with my family. has been really amazing.
1: That's awesome. That's good to hear. Um, I may have some thoughts for you, and I'll, I'll share them with you on email later. <clears throat> Thank you very much for coming and spending time with us. <clears throat> Thank There's you. those allergies again. <laughs> Thanks for having a cup of coffee with me. I really appreciate the time. Um, if there's anything that we can do for you over here please let us know um, for those of you that are watching thank you for watching don't forget to hit the subscribe button i have to always watch them in a the mirror um and if you're listening on anchor or any of the other syndicated platforms make sure you subscribe or download and uh leave a remark leave a comment i mean share your experiences guys this is this is meant to be interactive dave's gonna dave's gonna get a link to the main the main spot so youtube and uh, anchor so if you gotta if you got a question Hit it, you know. He'll he'll check once in a while, and if yeah, there's a relevant yeah. answer, I'm sure he's I'm sure he'll answer. Um, that's it for Java Chat today. I want to thank everybody for watching and listening. Remember, take care of each other. Be loving, be kind, and make sure you stay up, stay healthy, stay safe. From both of us to all of you, thanks for joining us. This is Java Chat. Ciao Please for now.
0: So